to Oncology Data Advisor, where we explore the latest advances in cancer research and treatment. I'm Kira Smith. In this podcast, Dr. Sarah Tolaney from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute will be discussing strategies for improving the management of patients with metastatic breast cancer. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Tolaney. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I'm Sarah Tolaney. I'm a breast medical oncologist at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute here in Boston. So what are some of the most challenging aspects of managing patients with metastatic breast cancer? So I think we've made incredible progress for our patients with metastatic breast cancer, particularly over the last two to three years we, where we've seen approvals for several new agents that really have a significant impact on patient outcomes. But I think the challenges that we're faced with are trying to balance quality of life with different therapeutic decisions and then trying to figure out optimal sequencing of therapy. So as we get all these new drugs, we are now faced with, you know, what order do we give them in um, to really optimize someone's outcome? And while having had one agent potentially impact their ability to benefit from another. Um, and so, you know, this introduces lots of challenges when making treatment decisions. Um, but in particular, I think, you know, the challenge that I often have is, you know, really trying to make decisions with the patient because, you know, it is critical that we make these decisions with the patient involved um, so that they're able to have a voice um, weighing uh, potential risks and benefits of each treatment um, when we're, we're faced with the change in treatment decision. Do you have any advice for optimizing the use of genetic testing for these patients? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we've learned a lot, uh, particularly over the last couple of years, that understanding if someone has a germline genetic alteration, particularly a BRCA alteration, is really important when making treatment decisions for patients. So, for example, we know in someone who has metastatic disease that uh, PARP inhibitors uh, improve progression-free survival. And so knowing who has a germline BRCA mutation is critical so that we know if PARP inhibition is a treatment option for them. And now uh, in early stage disease, we even know that patients who have germline BRCA mutations that have high-risk disease can benefit from adjuvant PARP inhibition, which can prevent recurrences. So in my mind, this means that we really need to be doing genetic testing on all metastatic breast cancer patients and all patients who have early stage cancers with high-risk disease for whom PARP inhibition may be appropriate. But then on the other side, there are also patients who just have strong family history and, and may not be candidates for PARP, but obviously understanding if they have a genetic mutation can have serious implications on decisions with regards to prophylactic surgery uh, or with more intensive surveillance, um, which we do do in patients who have high risk for developing breast cancer. So, you know, I think, again, it should there's some thought about moving towards more universal testing, uh, but for now, I think at least we need to be testing metastatic patients, um, high-risk early-stage patients, and patients who have strong uh, family histories and early age of, of onset of breast cancer. So last year, the FDA issued an alert warning against the use of paclitaxel in place of nabpaclitaxel for patients with triple negative breast cancer. What are some of the potential reasons why this combination is not effective? So the reason for that um, FDA alert was really based on data that emerged from Impassion 131. This was a trial that had looked at paclitaxel in combination with atezolizumab 
and found that there was no improvement in progression-free or overall survival when using that combination uh, compared to paclitaxel alone, which is really the opposite of what we found with NAB paclitaxel with atezolizumab, where we did find that adding atezolizumab to NAB paclitaxel did extend uh, progression-free survival and, and did lead to clinically meaningful improvements in overall survival. And so because of the, these discordant results, using paclitaxel with atezolizumab is really contraindicated at this time. And so the preference um, would be to use NAB paclitaxel with atezolizumab. So speaking a little bit about the management of these patients, what are some of the considerations for patients with central nervous system or CNS metastases? So in breast cancer, unfortunately, we do see prevalent CNS metastases, particularly in patients who have HER2 positive and triple negative breast cancer. And this definitely does have therapeutic implications where many of our drugs do not penetrate into the CNS. And so in essence, it leaves the CNS as a reservoir for cancer cells to be able to, to sort of set up shop in the brain. Um, and so there's been a lot of work being done about developing agents that can penetrate into the brain and have benefit in the CNS. And in fact, um, you know, we now have an agent, the very first agent that extends overall survival in patients with brain metastases, and that is to catnib for patients of HER2 positive um, breast cancer, um, where there was also a benefit in patients who have active CNS metastases. And this is, again, the very first approval we've ever seen for an agent that actually can extend survival in patients with brain metastases. So I think we're making very important headway here. Um, and I think it also really highlights the need for us when we're developing clinical trials to include patients with CNS metastases, whereas classically they've been excluded from registration trials but knowing how much of a problem CNS metastases can be for our patients, it's important that we study benefits of agents, particularly in patients who have CNS metastases. Looking ahead to the future of metastatic breast cancer treatment, what are some of the agents that are currently in clinical trials that you think are the most promising? So I think there are lots of really interesting agents that are in development. I think one class of agent that I think we're all awaiting data from uh, are oral SIRDs. Um, so these are oral agents that degrade the estrogen receptor. You know, we've been used to using Facilidex, which is an intramuscular um, SIRD, um, which works for our patients, but you know, generally does have pretty poor bioavailability. And so I think we're very excited about these oral agents that have better bioavailability and may um, potentially even work better than fulvestrant. And so um, we are awaiting data from randomized registration trials uh, in metastatic disease. Uh, and there are now um, you know, trials that are being developed to use these in the early stage setting as well. So I think these agents carry a lot of promise. I think another area of drug development that we're all excited about are antibody drug conjugates. Um, we do have approval now for three different ADCs in breast cancer, PDM1 being the first one that we had. Then subsequently, we saw approvals for sasituzumab and trastuzumab deruxtecan. Uh, but now there are also other antibody drug conjugates that are in development. Um, you know, we saw some really exciting data from DS1062, uh, which is a, a new um, antibody drug conjugate targeting trope 2. Um, and we have seen press release about uh, positive data from SYD985. So 
So I think, you know, in the future, there are going to be a lot of questions about how we can sequence antibody drug conjugates because some of these ADCs are targeting the same receptors. Some even have payloads that have um, similar mechanisms of activity. And so this is going to raise a lot of questions as we get more and more very potent ADCs uh, approved about how we can optimally use them uh, and sequence them. So I think, again, there are a lot of exciting new agents coming, which is great for our patients. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tulaney, for joining us today and for sharing all this valuable information with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Oncology Data Advisor. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. In addition to our podcast, the Oncology Data Advisor site features expert perspectives and news stories on the latest in cancer research and treatments, all found at oncdata.com. Mm-hmm.